This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. So uh, my name is Aaron. I'm just going to share for uh, about 15, 20 minutes just around a subject related to the Bible. And um, uh, just by way of introduction, I just want to say, first of all, that today's a special day for us because uh, my wife and I, our eldest son is going to university for the first time. If you're, if you're a student here and you're in the city for the first time, welcome. You're so welcome. Uh, we kind of know how your parents are feeling. Um, my eldest, I've got three kids. My eldest, is, he's just turned 20, so he's had a year out. And um, during his year out, he uh, worked for six months and then went traveling for three months. And uh, back in March, March 6th, I think it was, we took him to Heathrow and uh, he headed off to Nepal and Thailand and India. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, I'm gonna hold it together, it's gonna be fine. Uh, I didn't, I was a mess, completely bawling my eyes out of the airport. Um, Claire then started crying as well, and then Jake started crying. It was just a, a, an emotional fusion of, of, uh, of, of joy uh, for him, and also kind of like just kind of emotional kind of heartbreak as well, you know. So I'm expecting today to be a little bit easier because he's just going down the road to London, so that should be fairly straightforward. But when uh, when he came back, he said to me, "Daddy, said I, I did uh, I did do some things that, that risked my life um, <laughs> at least four times, and." Um, I kind of knew that would happen because I was like him then as well. I, you know, when you're that age, you're kind of like, you're invincible, aren't you? Um, you're just kind of like, I can do anything and I'm not going to get hurt. It's going to be absolutely fine. So he did, and thankfully he's still alive, so we're all right. But there is that sense that um, we, in, we kind of inhabit the same sort of space that our parents did, and perhaps we have traits that, we, that pass from one generation to the next. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I may even be triggering a few of you right now because... Um, you know, the idea that you're like your dad is something that your wife has always told you and you've never really believed, or, or vice versa. And, uh, you know, it's just, it can be used in an argument. Yeah, it's just like your father would do that. Or you're just like your mother. You know, I must confess, I've used that once or twice. Um, and um, uh, the reality is, is that we are more like our, our uh, previous generations, our ancestors, than we care to believe. We're not just our parents, but our grandparents as well, right? Or even our great-grandparents. And... Uh, you know, the truth is, is that um, although we want to have a sense of our own identity, we carry some of the traits of previous generations with us. It's impossible to not. When I was uh, in my uh, late, no, early 20s, I was, it was the 90s, I was a 90s boy, grew up near Manchester. For me, I was into Oasis and Prince and artists like that. Uh, my mum and dad listened to The Shadows and Roy Orbison. Um, you know, I was like... There's no way on earth I want to be identified with my parents. Like, I mean, I love my parents dearly and they've got many great traits, but back then, as a 20-year-old, I was not interested in being told that I was like my mum or my dad. Um, so, you know, if you just a bit of advice to your parents, don't tell your kids that they are like you, they're not, you know, or they're like their mother, they're not. At the moment, they don't want to hear it. Um, but uh, as I got older, I started to realise that I could see my upbringing and my DNA in me, and it was... It was, you know, it was more similar than I cared to believe. And of course that's true. Sociologists and counsellors are clear that our emotional health is significantly affected by patterns of behaviour that pass from one generation to the next. Um, and the reality is, for us, that can be good and it can be bad. It's not rocket science. Uh, from, uh, from the way we do Christmas to the way we react to pressure, we will notice that we're quite similar to those people with whom we grew up. So in the most formative years of our lives, these first 20 years of our lives, when we're living with our parents, when we're living with our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, they will have a disproportionate effect on us, not just because we share the same DNA, but because simply we live together 
and they shape our experiences. And, um, you know, um, with, with, with the Bible, um, this, this book, which was written over several thousand years, that, there's this general understanding that that is the case, that, that, that patterns of behaviour pass from one generation to the next. And so today I just wanted to share a story with you, a couple of stories actually, um, that kind of demonstrate this and then look at how Jesus gives us hope in that situation. Um, so um, let's talk about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, two heroes of, uh, of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, uh, grandfather, father and son, and or grandson. And if you're not familiar with the story, Abraham was a Sumerian boy. If you're not that familiar with uh, that area of Sumeria, it was between what we now know as modern day Iraq, between the two great rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And uh, he, he has an experience where he encounters Yahweh. And, uh, uh, and Yahweh says, I'm going to have a special relationship with you and your descendants. And your descendants are going to outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. And, uh, and there's this promise that God makes to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of his, his uh, descendants. And despite the reverence that, uh, with which these men are held by Jews, Muslims and Christians, this family, particularly those three generations, we know because we read about their stories in great detail in, in Genesis, they had some weird dynamics going on. Some really weird family dynamics. Uh, one, one of the traits that appears to run through these three generations is the habit of lying when under pressure. And as was common uh, in the Middle East, um, they, they lived uh, together, they, uh, they, would, they, they died together. They, you know, they, were, they were living in close community with one another. And uh, there's one account where Abraham, during his adult lifetime, takes his household, which would have included Isaac, down to Egypt to find food. Uh, there's a famine. In, in what we now call Israel. So he goes down south to try and get some food in a place called Egypt. And he takes his wife with him and uh, he thinks she's beautiful and will attract the attention of other men. So he decides to lie that she's not his wife, but his sister. Now uh, we pick up this story in Genesis 20 verses one to five. It says this, now Abraham moved from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her, as was the custom. Then and God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said, you're as good as dead because of the woman you've taken, because she's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me that she's my sister? And didn't she also say that he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. So obviously, like the, the, one of the problems with uh, the Bible is that we kind of read it like a storybook, like, and we read it to our kids before they go to bed at night. And the depth of the story sometimes gets a bit lost. We kind of swim in the shallows. But what we're dealing with here is an ancient story. Um, we're dealing with a story where the tradition, um, <clears throat> traditions were strong and Abraham would rather risk Sarah being uh, forced into a marriage uh, with someone like Abimelech, the king of Gerar, um, than risk his own life because he presumed that he would be killed so that the king could have his wife. Thankfully, God intervenes and Abimelech is an honorable man and Sarah is spared from the consequences of Abraham's cowardice and deceit. What's really bizarre, though, is that this story repeats itself with Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. Uh, so there's another famine, and Isaac takes his household south again. I think it would have been, they were semi-nomadic people, so it was quite normal for them to travel in search of food. 
So they went south again to Egypt, um, and on the way the, they encountered Amimelech, another Amimelech. Um, scholars think that the word Abimelech is actually more a title rather than a name, so it was probably, um, probably not the same one that Abraham encountered. So Je- Otherwise, you'd ask yourself, why did he not realise this was going on with his family? Uh, Genesis 26, verses 7 to 10. When the men of that place, this is um, Isaac now, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, and he said, <laughs> she is my sister, uh, because he was afraid to say that she is my wife. He thought that the men of that place might kill me on account of Rebecca this time, because she's beautiful. So when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say that she was your sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So um, it's a very, very similar story, um, different person, different generation. Isaac displaying the same cowardice and deceit whilst exposing his wife to possible forced marriage um, and uh, creating conflict between his people. And bearing in mind, Isaac would have had a whole crowd of people around him. It wasn't just a family. It would have been everybody, like his servants, concubines, everything. It would have been probably hundreds of people. You would have brought conflict between our people and your people. Why did you do this? Well, he did it because he lied, because he was a coward. Jacob. Jacob's the grandson of Abraham. He's one of the twins born to Isaac and Rebekah. The other boy is called Esau. And Jacob, interestingly, comes, is born uh, after Esau. And, um, and so Esau is effectively the firstborn, which in their traditional society would have meant a great deal. Uh, but he comes out holding on to Esau's heel. Why are we told that? It's such a bizarre situation. Like, I mean, I can't even remember the birth of my children in that sort of detail. But nevertheless, this is what happened. Jacob is grasping Esau's heel, which means that um, they decide to give him this name called the grasper, uh, or we might translate it the deceiver. So Jacob is given this name, which means uh, deceiver, and he lives up to his name. He deceives his own father, Isaac, uh, into giving him the firstborn's inheritance because the firstborn, if you were the firstborn, you got everything. And so Jacob deceives his father into giving him the firstborn inheritance. And then Esau is mad with him, not surprisingly. And Esau basically promises he's going to kill him and exact revenge upon him. And then he goes on the run. And uh, Jacob's on the run. And Esau's searching him down to kill him. Uh, Eventually they are reconciled. But nevertheless, all of this happens because of Jacob's lying. And of course, Jacob lived up to his name. Um, And much later in his life... um, The next generation, Um, after Jacob, Jacob, if you know the story, has 12 sons and many daughters, and um, and they conspire, the sons conspire to to lie to their father that his favourite son Joseph has died, um, and um, and 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 and, but in reality they've actually sold him into slavery because they simply were jealous of him and wanted to get rid of him, so they lied to Jacob that they that, that he'd been killed by wild animals. So four generations of deceit, four generations of lying. And um, you can read that story um, in great detail. What, what's unique about this family is, is that they were very integrated. They were very, very much living within the same space and the same time. And they, they didn't just kind of get to, get to 18 or 19 or 20 and then leave home. They just lived within the same space. 
But of course, in our present culture, that's not the case. Multiple generations no longer live in the same house necessarily, although the economic situation is changing that. Um, and um, uh, the reality is, is that we spend, we spend less time with our parents and our siblings than, uh, than perhaps previous generations did and often live in different cities and countries. But the truth is, is that we cannot run away from the reality that we share our DNA and we also share our most formative experiences in life. We cannot run away from that. Um, some of us though, of course, oh, as we look back, well, probably many of us actually, will look back during those formative years and we'll have experiences that we kind of, we don't like. They were painful. Um, we regret some of those experiences or, um, or we, we try and pretend that those things didn't happen. Um, um, but the reality is, is that those experiences, those formative experiences of our family and the, the experiences of previous generations in our family still affect us. Anyone that's been through counselling or sought help through counselling knows that we need to acknowledge the past before we can move forwards. And, um, and, and if we li- allow ourselves to live in denial, then those things will still shape us. It's just we're pretending that they're not. So where do we have hope? Well, one of the areas of the Gospel of Jesus um, where we have hope relates to this, this, this thing of being shaped and formed by the behaviour of previous generations that, that we have. And, and, and I'm just going to share this story with you from uh, John verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. This is an account of Jesus' life. It's an account of an interaction that Jesus has with uh, some of his contemporaries. So there was a Pharisee uh, named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, that's the reality of God, unless they are born again. I can just imagine Nicodemus kind of wrinkling his eyes, furrowing his eyebrows going, what on earth do you mean, born again? What do you mean, born again? How can someone be born When they are old, Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. That is the reality of God, unless they are born of the water and of the spirit. So this, this, this story is where Christians get this word born again from. This term born again, you may be familiar with it. Maybe you would describe yourself as born again. Um, And there's a, with this term born again, there's this heavy emphasis on starting over starting over again. Because essentially the, the gospel of Jesus is redemptive. It's redemptive. It is a story of redemption and of hope. That's the essence of the gospel. Uh, and um, we don't have to be defined, therefore, by prior experiences. We don't have to be defined um, by patterns of behaviour that have been passed on from generation to generation. Now, of course, we are. And of course we do. And there are some patterns of behaviour that we want to retain, right? There is many things that you will have received from your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents that you want to define you. They're good, they're constructive, they're healthy. But there will be some things that you don't want uh, to define you. You don't want to be like that just because your parents were like that or just because your grandparents were like that. 
we don't have to continue with patterns of behaviour that have been passed from generation to generation. And one of the challenges that um, I have when speaking in this context, not just because I'm speaking to many of you, that, you know, I, I know some of you too well, I know some of you not so well, I don't know some of you at all. And also I'm uh, speaking, and we're speaking, live streaming this on, you, on Facebook, and it's, it's also on our podcast to hear afterwards. So lots of people could listen to what I'm saying. So I, you know, I'd be gen, gen, uh, just be really kind of considerate of my family um, when I'm talking about this issue. But let's just say that one of the most, one, amongst my, one of the many fantastic traits that I've received from generation to generation, there is a trait that I have which um, I've carried and I think that it's a trait that is shared by some members of my family. So, and that is a trait of not doing conflict very well. Now, I just want to be clear, like, not everyone in my family suffers with this problem because obviously I'm descended from lots of different strands of people. So this is not something that um, defines our whole family. But certainly I can see, I can trace it back through generations. And, uh, and not doing conflict well. Really, what I want to say here is, is that I, don't, I struggle with doing conflict well. And what I mean is, is that um, I struggle to have constructive conflict that results in a win-win and results in deepened relationship rather than a damaged relationship. Now, this doesn't happen with everyone, and some of you may, who know me well will be going, I have no idea what you mean, you're quite good at conflict. But for, for some people, in some situations, I struggle to do conflict well. And, um, and the reason for that is, is because what I tend to do is, I, if I feel conflict with someone, I tend not to raise it. So I tend to just bury it. I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation with that person. I, I just will avoid the subject. I will skirt around the issue. I will let something go. And whilst that might be helpful in the immediate situation, the reality is, is that if it's still bothering me, then actually it can be quite a difficult thing. I can actually I can really struggle with it personally. So, for instance, um, uh, I, I tend to avoid a subject that's negative because I don't like negative experiences. I don't like to dwell on negative stories, situations. Someone was telling the story over the dinner table last night and I was like oh no let's not talk about that because it doesn't sound very nice I'm like let's just let's just stay in a happy place that's that's me if you want to know me well just assume that Owen always likes being a happy place and dwelling on happy things rather than negative things so that's one of the reasons why I don't like kind of dwelling on conflict very much but what I do recognize is that because I don't deal with conflict always constructively some things will just get under my skin and just be kind of I'll bury them but they're still there and they'll still be affecting the way I behave, even though I'm trying hard to bury them. And um, so, so I'll, have, I'll avoid conflict with a person, um, but the reality is, is that sometimes what happens is, is that eventually that frustration in me or that anger in me will come out in the most inappropriate way or the most frustrating way. And the poor person who is kind of, um, you know, the victim of that, you know, is kind of going, where did that come from? And why, why was there so much power and emotional energy in that? I know it's because I've not learned to deal with conflict very well. So um, I have a strategy for it, um, um, which is not a healthy strategy. I thought I'd share this one with you. Uh, when we have conflict with someone, if, it, like, if there's a conflict situation and um, maybe it's just... Um, maybe, maybe we've been in a situation where we've, we've gone to... Um, uh, we were at a campsite in the summer. There was something wrong with the situation. I didn't want to go and complain about it, so I sent Claire instead. And Claire's really good at it. So Claire's, I mean, any of you that know Claire um, will know that she's really personal and she's like, she can work something through. She deals with conflict really constructively. So I just ask her to go and deal with it on my behalf. And so some of you will realise that when Claire deals with something with you, it might be that I don't want to. <laughs> 
But, but the reality is, is that actually it's not necessarily the healthiest thing to do and I do need to deal with it. But I tell you what I do recognise is, is that this is something that I can identify in different people throughout my family life. And I've witnessed it and I've copied it and I've also got that, that sort of DNA. You know what I mean? It's there and it's just a habit. And I'd like to change it, I'd like to break it. And so for me, I have to say, for me, um, I, I do believe that there is hope of change. I come across people sometimes that don't have any sense of hope that something can change. Oh, that, that person's always going to be like that. They're never going to change. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're, they're always going to behave like that. They've always behaved like that. Their mother was the same, and they're never going to change. And I want to say, no, that's wrong. Surely they can change. Surely, surely we can change. And I would say of myself, surely I can change. But I want to say to you, I think the reason why I believe in change is not just I'm an optimist, but it's because I believe that as human beings, um, we're made in the image of God. Uh, and the gospel of Jesus offers me the hope that we can change. That, 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 that his death and his resurrection is a redemptive act. That the, the resurrection reverses the, the negative effects of the death. You know, the, the gospel of Jesus that for me, I've built my life around this story, is of change. That positive change, that change, things that are dead can be made alive again that unhealthy situations can become healthy, that broken situations can become restored. That's the hope of the gospel for me. And so as I look at my own behaviour, I'm inspired to change because of the hope that I see in the gospel, particularly the resurrection of Jesus, the reversal of something that's negative, the reversal of something that's bad. And I think that the gospel of Jesus offers that hope to us in a way that perhaps... Not, not many other stories that we read about or know about actually do. Because so often we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a culture where you say, no, that person's never going to change. Well, the gospel is a gospel of redemption. That, that Isaac didn't need to be a liar like his father was. That Jacob didn't need to be a liar like his father and his grandfather were. You see what I mean? This is what the gospel of Jesus gives us. It gives us hope that, that bad things can be reversed, that Stories and experiences of, that we've experienced in, in, in our own lives in the past, in our formative years, and also that others have experienced in our prior generations. You don't have to be defined by that. The, the hope of the gospel is that we can change. And of course, we're very much a work in progress. Like, I am still, I still struggle with conflict. I still struggle to have constructive <laughs> conflict. And, um, but, but, I'm working on that with the hope that I can change. And, and, and all of us can do the same. So the question I want to ask you is, what, what about you? What destructive family traits could stop with you? One of the fears that I have is that this, this inability to deal with conflict constructively would be passed on to my children. I think it probably has already. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean that they and I can't continue with the hope that we can change. So what about you? What habits have been passed on from generation to generation that could stop with you or at least be reduced with you? The Gospel of Jesus offers us the hope that people can and do change for the better. And this is not about moralism. This is not about being good. It's about being healthy. There is hope that we can overcome the negative and destructive events and patterns of behaviour. We are not, we're not fatalists. Oh, this will be because of that. Now, we might need professional help with this. 
we might need help from counsellors or psychologists. Um, and as I said last week, um, persistent complex emotional needs, you know, we do sometimes need to have the help of professionals. I'm a physiotherapist myself. Um, there's lots of advice and expertise that I can bring to, the, to, the, to, uh, to help someone who's got a physical problem. But there's also just general things, common sense things that, you know, someone that's not a physio could advise you on as well. And, uh, but the reality is that some complex persistent issues do need the help of professionals. So it might be that you're thinking about this today going, yeah, there are some complex and persistent problems or experiences that I need to help with and I need to go and get help from a psychologist or a counsellor. But some of those are more benign and we can help each other through conversation. But let me say, say this last one thing. That will only happen if we're willing to be vulnerable. And I don't mean you need to stand up in a public space and be vulnerable about this like I've had to do today. But what I mean is just be vulnerable with someone you trust. But it really starts with yourself and myself. And one sort of um, uh, one habit that you might like to cultivate is keeping a journal if you don't already. Actually writing things down that you are thinking about. So it may be that when I ask you that question, what destructive habits you do you see in your family that perhaps you, you share and that you'd like to do something about, perhaps write that down in your journal and write down what those things are. Because in the process of writing down, you start to connect with it and you start to emotionally connect with it and you become cognizant of it rather than just kind of burying it. So that's the first thing. But the second thing would be to find someone you trust and just share that with them. So it might be your spouse, uh, it might be a good friend, it might be a, a relative or a family member, someone you trust and you see, can I just share this with you? And can I just share with you some of the things that, that bother me, some of these things I've written down in my journal? That might just be helpful. But equally, you may get to that point, you go, do you know what? I need to talk to someone professional about this. I need to talk to a counsellor or a psychologist because I need to process this. And it's just too painful for me to just pass, you know, share with a friend over coffee or something like that. It's just too great. It's too traumatic. It's too problematic for me to share in that context. If that's the case, then again... We can help you find a counsellor or a psychologist to start that process. But what I would say to you is, is that it starts with you willing to be vulnerable, one with yourself and then with other people, whoever they are. So why don't we just pray? And um, I'm just going to invite you just to consider that. And, uh, and if God started a process this morning with you, um, as he did with me, um, then, then I would just encourage you to embrace that. So if you want to pray, you don't have to, but if you want to pray, just join with me. Um, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do offer us um, a redemption. Um, uh, you offer us hope for the future that we can change and that we don't have to be defined by our own past and the past of previous generations in our family. Uh, would you give us the courage to, to, uh, to consider... Um, where we may be affected by this and would you give us working on the basis of hope the hope that we have from, in the resurrection that the resurrection reverses death that you can reverse um, the effects of negative experiences or patterns of behaviour that, that have run through families would you, with that hope would you give us courage to write that down to reflect on it ourselves and to share it with someone else so that we might either start or continue in this road of redemption so that our lives might be healthy and that the lives of those around us, our families and friends, might be healthy 
and not impacted by our behaviour. But also that uh, if we ever have children or if we have children, that, that, that any patterns or patterns of behaviour that have, have been passed on from generation to generation might stop with us. Thank you that uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that there is a way to change. And, um, and we, 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 I pray that we would be filled with hope because of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.